Good afternoon, Glenchurch, and welcome to this service. My name is John T. It's a great joy to be able to welcome you as we gather together online to remember Jesus, to celebrate him together, and to hear his voice as we listen to his word. Let me start with these, these words um, that tell us what God thinks of his church. Uh, there's a verse in Acts 20 that describes the church as the people that God has bought with his own blood. That's who the church is. The church are the people who God has bought with his own blood. We must never think that the church is kind of some disappointing, slightly frustrating, slightly rubbish little thing. The church is so precious to God. God gave his son Jesus to die in order to bring the church into existence. And this afternoon, we need to have an understanding of what it means to be church. The church is precious to God. We are precious to God because of what he's done for us. So why don't we bow our heads as we start our time together and let's worship him. Let's thank him for who he has made the church to be. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we meet together this afternoon, we meet as a people who are precious to you. We meet as a people who you gave your, the blood of your own son to purchase. We meet as a people who are your treasured possession. Father, we ask that we would see this afternoon the value that you have placed on your church and that that would thrill us, that that would cause our hearts to be humble and yet full of worship. Lord, please show us more of what it means to be your church. Show us more of what it means to have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, we pray. And it's in his name we ask it. Amen. Well, this afternoon we're going to pick up that theme of, of what it means to be the church. We're going to return to Romans um, chapter 14, where we were a couple of weeks ago. And we've been seeing what it means to live in view of God's mercy. We've been seeing what it means to live as God's people. And the dominant theme of love, love is to be what marks us out as God's people. And we're going to continue that uh, in Romans 14. We were thinking last time about the fact that we must welcome one another, accept one another. And we're going to continue to see how the church is supposed to function, particularly where we have disagreements, particularly where we have different views on different subjects. Remember last time we were talking about the fact that the church is not a herd where we all have to conform and be the same. It's a family made up of different people with different backgrounds and different ideas. But that's what makes life hard sometimes within the church. Because we're not trying to squeeze everyone to be the same. We're trying to live as a family with all our differences. So we need to hear God's word again. We need to listen more to how God teaches us to live. So we're going to hear Romans chapter 14, uh, verses 13 to 23, read for us. And then we're going to explore this passage which shows us what our attitudes are to be like towards one another. So let's hear the word of God read, and then we'll explore it together. Today we're reading from Romans 14, 13 to 23. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. 
I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes somebody else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is a sin. Okay, let's pray together and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd help us now. Please, by your Holy Spirit, would you teach us, help us to understand what this word means. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're thinking about what it means to be God's people. The mercy of God has brought about this people of God. And we're thinking last time that we're to welcome one another, accept one another into our hearts. And today we're going to think much more about our actions, how we can treat one another. And it's quite a complicated um, passage. So I thought what I'd do is show you some of my working. You know, what do you do when you've got a passage like this? Where do you start? Well, one thing that can be helpful is to look out for the commands. What are the specific things that we're being told to do? What you might call the imperatives. So let me just show you, I want to highlight four of those for you, which I think will help us to see what this passage is telling us to do. The the first one's in verse 13. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So don't put obstacles in each other's way. Then there's one at the end of verse 15. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Then uh, verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. So you've got these four commands which begin to help us to see the main thrust of what this passage is really saying. Don't put obstacles. Don't destroy one another. Instead, do what leads to mutual edification. That's how we're to treat each other. Just think about an obstacle course for a second. In fact, more specifically, think about an obstacle course designer. I mean, that's a pretty unusual job, right? I've never done it, but I guess this is how it works. You imagine your elite athletes lined up at the start of the track. In front of them is a nice, smooth, simple, easy track to run down. And your job is to put as many things in the way that will hinder them, slow them down, trip them up, and maybe even stop them in their tracks. And I I guess it brings a certain amount of uh, pleasure as you watch the athletes struggle over the obstacles that you've put in place. Now, the danger is that we can do that as a church, that we can put obstacles, that we can harm one another, that we can hinder one another 
as we seek to follow Jesus. That we can make it harder for each other to follow Jesus than it would be otherwise. And that is what Paul is saying, don't do that. And the second command makes you see why, why it's so serious. He says, do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. That's what's at stake. We could harm someone whom Christ died for. Paul says this is serious stuff. The church is so precious to Jesus. He gave his life to bring the church into existence. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave everything in order to save us and to make us his. And he says, therefore, don't you dare harm one another. Don't do anything that would hinder one another. And then there's the positive command in verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. He says, positively help each other. If you want to summarize, I think, what this passage is saying, I think it's saying stop building obstacles, start building one another. So rather than harming one another, we're to help each other. Every question that I think through, every decision that I make, all the, the way that I choose to live my life is to be governed by this principle. What can I do that will help other people in my church family? How can I encourage them and build them up rather than tear them down? And all of this, verse 20, because the church is the work of God. Do not destroy the work of God. The church is not a human institution that's just been randomly thrown together. The church is what God is doing in this world. God is building his church. And we make better make sure that we're not opposing that and damaging the church that God is building. I think tragically it's been the case that often churches have hindered people rather than helped them. And I think particularly within the church, it is the strong who have the greatest potential to do damage to the weak. That's why I think Paul particularly has in view here those within the church who are strong. Those who are strong in the faith, mature in the faith. He says, you guys particularly take responsibility to help the church, not to hinder it. So stop building obstacles. Start building one another. Now, the reason this is an issue in the church is because when people start to follow Jesus, they come from all sorts of different backgrounds. I mean, it's one of the things that makes Jesus so fantastically brilliant is that anyone can come to him. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, anyone can come to Jesus and find forgiveness and a welcome. Anyone can be part of this family called the church. It's open. But the problem is that that will breed some friction. And particularly in the early church, when the church first got going, that was seen between the Jews and the Gentiles. Right from the start of the book of Romans, Paul's made it clear that the gospel of Jesus is both for Jews and Gentiles. The Jews, who were the people of God, and some of them, when they met Jesus, they became Christians, but they were still Jews and they were still circumcised, and they still obeyed some of the Old Testament laws, because that was their heritage, that was their culture. So those things were still part of what it meant, and they brought those into Christianity. 
But then suddenly some Gentiles, non-Jews, some of them became Christians. They started to follow Jesus. And now the question becomes, well, do these guys need to become Jews? Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to follow the rules? See, this was a big question. And in fact, what happened was they got together this council of all the kind of the, the leaders of the churches in order to discuss it. This was so important that they got it right. And in Acts 15, you read about that council that happened in Jerusalem. And they discussed it, and they prayed about it, and this was the conclusion they got to. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Here is the categorical statement that says the, the way into the church family is through a broad open door called grace. Anyone and everyone is welcome to receive forgiveness by faith in Jesus. It's a gift of God's grace. There's no ceremony to perform. There's no ritual to go through. There's no rules to keep. It is all by grace. And it's true whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It's all the same. And so they conclude, verse 19, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Do you, do you hear the, the language? We shouldn't make it difficult for them. We shouldn't put an obstacle in their way. We should help them. And that's exactly the principle, I think, going on in Romans 14. How do we help one another rather than hinder now, as you read other um, letters in the New Testament, you discover a similar sort of idea that this issue of rules being imposed on the Gentiles kept coming up again and again. And Paul had to, had to keep saying to them, no, stop making it hard. Stop imposing rules. But the issue in Romans 14 is the opposite way around. And just try and stick with this. I, I know it's quite complicated. But in Romans 14, it's less about Jews imposing their rules on Gentiles. It's more about Gentiles flaunting their freedom in the face of the Jews, in the face of those with a weak conscience. You see, it's just as easy for the Gentiles to hinder the Jews as for the Jews to hinder the Gentiles. And that's why Romans 14 is so... Uh, Romans so that's why Acts 15 is such a genius passage. Because they say at the council in Jerusalem, we must not hinder them, we must put nothing in their way. And then they say, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. You say, hang on a second, I thought you were going to put no burden in their way, and then you give them this list of requirements. And the reason is because they're saying to the Gentiles, don't flaunt your freedom in the face of the Jews and live in a way that will make it really difficult for the Jews who care about these things. And here is this beautiful balance that you get in the New Testament where the rule keepers are not to impose their rules on the freedom people and the freedom people are not to flaunt their freedom in the face of the rule keepers. You see? It would be a real problem for Jewish Christians to see the Gentiles eating any old food. You know, here they are with their bacon sandwich. Yum, yum, this bacon sandwich is so good. Oh, it tastes so good. 
come on, you can eat this. Jesus set you free from all those silly rules that you like to keep. No, you guys don't impose your rituals. You guys don't flaunt your freedom. And that is what Paul is arguing in Romans 14. He says, stop making it difficult for each other. Act in ways that make it easy, that build each other up. And I think he spells out four ways then. He, that, that's the big command. Stop building obstacles, start building one another. I think what he then does is he unpacks four ways that we might be in danger of building obstacles. And I know that the kind of issue of food and that sort of ritual stuff is not quite our issue anymore, but the principles were going to help us. So I'm going to spell out the principles, then we can think through in the Zoom meeting afterwards what this might look like in practice. So we could build an obstacle if we just ignore how other people feel. We don't care about how they feel. We say, now I know what's right and wrong, therefore I'm just going to do what I want and I don't care about how you feel about it. You're just wrong. That's what he's arguing in verse 14. He says, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. That's a remarkable thing for Paul to say because he is a Jew. But he has come to such an understanding of Jesus that says Jesus has set me free from any ritual that I need to perform, any religious ceremony that I need to go through. I'm free to eat a bacon sandwich. So can Paul eat a bacon sandwich? Yes, he can. It's not unclean. But there are others who aren't in that place. They, for them, it still feels wrong. And so because it feels wrong, it is wrong because it would be to go against their conscience. That's the next bit of verse 14. If anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. So the same act might be clean for you, but unclean for you. Clean for you because you understand your freedom, unclean for you because it still troubles your conscience. And here's where it gets really interesting. If it's unclean for you, then it becomes wrong for you to do it if it causes them distress. Because at that point, you're no longer acting in love. So you don't push your freedom on others. Instead, you love them. That's the start of verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. You know, we can have all sorts of complexities and all sorts of issues that we care about, but we need to listen to one another. Just because I think something is right, someone else may feel it's not, and therefore I need to understand that. You know, it's possible to be right about the argument, but absolutely wrong in my actions. Because rightness without love is nothing. It's like a clanging gong. Or like an ice cream van with no ice cream that's got all the colourful kind of patterns and has got all the cheerful, happy music. But when you get to the ice cream van, there's no ice cream there. It fundamentally fails to deliver what it promises. And in churches, sometimes we can be so obsessed with rightness that we have no love and gentleness with one another. In fact, what can happen is that that thing that was good, the bacon sandwich, actually becomes evil because you flaunted it in the wrong way. 
The bacon sandwich that was so appetizing and good becomes the cause of you destroying a brother or sister. That's what verse 16 means. Therefore, do not let what you know is good, the bacon sandwich, be spoken of as evil. So you will build obstacles if you don't care how other people feel, if you don't care about what other people think. Secondly, we'll build obstacles if we elevate the wrong priorities within our church family. I mean, the idea of priorities is big, right? We all know that. If you get your priorities wrong, you're in a complete mess. So if you're a football team and you plow all your resources into building a replica of your stadium made out of Maltesers, you've got your priorities wrong because all your priorities should be on winning your next match and you plow all your resources there even if the replica stadium never gets built because that's your priority. And Paul is concerned that if we get our priorities wrong, if we elevate things to the wrong things to being priorities, then we'll build obstacles for one another. That's what he's saying in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That's not the priority. Your rules and your rituals and your, all your stylistic things, that's not the priority. Instead, the kingdom of God is all about righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, when, G- when Paul says this, he's kind of riffing off what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Make that your priority. So righteousness. When Jesus died on the cross, he died to make us righteous. He gave us a righteousness that we don't deserve. And he gave us that righteousness so that we would now live out that new righteousness. That is that we would live our lives saying, how can I please God? Jesus died to make me pleasing to God. How can I now live pleasing to God? That's what matters. Not my rules and my rituals, but what pleases God? Righteousness. And have a priority on peace, not bickering and arguing and dividing over things that don't matter. But a commitment to peace. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he gave us peace with God. He gave us a peace that we didn't deserve. And he gave us peace with God so that we would then live out that peace with one another. And our priority, therefore, is to be at peace with one another. We will build obstacles if we fight with one another and argue about stuff that doesn't matter. Instead, we're to pursue peace. That's how you build one another. And joy. When Jesus died on the cross, he died to give us joy. A deep and lasting, profound joy. He gives us a joy that we don't deserve. And he gives us that joy so that we might then live out that joy in how we live our lives. Not living in slavish obedience to burdensome rituals, but instead living in joyful obedience to God. Pursuing joy, that's what matters. And therefore, rather than loading one another down with burdens and more and more rules and expectations, instead we're to help each other to be joyful in Jesus and to say, brother, sister, let me help to carry that burden. Let me relieve that pressure off you. 
You see, if we make a priority attendance at all our meetings, and you've got to be at this and this and this and this, do you see how the burden lifts and obstacles come? Instead, we're to be those who say, let's joyfully meet. Let's lift that burden of ritual and demand. We need to get our priorities straight. Righteousness, living to please God, peace, joy. Thirdly, we will definitely put obstacles in the way if we insist on our rights. Insist that things have to be done the way that we like them. This is what he says in verse 20. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink or wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. You may have the right to eat a bacon sandwich, but don't eat it if it causes your brother or sister to fall. Forgive your, forget your rights. Give up your rights. Never eat another bacon sandwich in your life if it's going to harm them. And you might say, but it's my right to have a bacon sandwich. Well, give up your right. That's how Jesus treated us. I always remember um, when I was a youth worker many years ago in a, youth, in, a, in a church, that we used to have an annual youth service. And it was the most stressful night of the year for me. Because what happened at the annual youth service was that all the youth kind of went, oh, at last, we can do it the way we want to do it. At last, we can have the music we want instead of those stupid old hymns that the old people like. And we can have drums that are really loud because it's our service when we get to do what we want. And I remember spending ages with the young people saying, no, you've got it all wrong. Actually, the youth service is the service when you say, I give up my rights. The youth service is when you, you put on a service that will most serve the older members of the church, where you sing the hymns that they love because you want to serve them. It's not an opportunity to make their ears bleed. It's an opportunity to make their hearts burn with warmth. Do you see? You don't put obstacles in the way. And we can be like this. I want it to be this way. And we complain and we moan and we fight and we want it to be done the way we like it. Well, sometimes we need to give up our rights in order that other people might be helped. Let's not insist on our rights within church. Let's build one another up. And the fourth thing I think you see in terms of kind of putting obstacles in way is is when you go public on personal convictions. So verse 22, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Do you know there are some things that you keep between yourself and God. There are some personal private convictions that you don't go public. You don't lay as a burden on everybody else. No, it's your conviction between you and God. Your faith says do this and you do it to please God. You may have a faith that says you can eat a bacon sandwich, so you eat your bacon sandwich and you celebrate and you rejoice God. It doesn't mean that you then turn to the rest of the congregation saying you all need to eat bacon sandwiches too. No, no, that's a private conviction. Because if someone else is simply doing something because you've said it, actually you will lead them into sin. If they doubt, if it's not from their conviction, then it's not right for them. Now these are complex issues, I know that. And the stuff that we're talking about here is not the 
big issues where the Bible is clear. These are the issues of conscience. These are the issues where we might disagree on stuff. Where different Christians would come to different views. These are not the issues that are crystal clear in the Bible. But the issues where we may disagree. And so let's be a church that rather than pursuing what I want and, and, and my own freedom, instead we say, I'll, I'll, I want to see you built up. So what does that look like for us as a church family? Well, in the Zoom call after the service, I'd love us to talk a little bit more about this. But what are some of the obstacles that you think, maybe I put that obstacle, maybe I'm making it harder for that person to follow Jesus because of my action? It may be a kind of critical spirit you have towards someone. It may be a grudge you hold towards someone. It it may be an expectation or a sort of tutting that you have in your heart over someone because they're not as committed as you. Where do you see yourself potentially putting obstacles in other people's way? Where have you found obstacles being put in your way? Let's be those who stop building obstacles and start building one another. Who could you encourage? Who could you point to Jesus this week? Who could you help? Who could you give up your rights to serve this week? That's the sort of church Jesus wants us to be. So why don't we pray and ask that God would help us to live this way. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus died on a cross to welcome anyone who would trust in him. Thank you for the breadth of the welcome that there is in Jesus. And Lord, we're sorry when we then put obstacles in one another's way. We're sorry when we get our priorities wrong. We're sorry when we insist on our personal freedom. We're sorry when we kind of make grand statements about things that we should just keep quiet about. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be a church that pursues peace, righteousness, joy. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.